Hello, Fellowship family. The elders have determined that we will open our campuses to services on Labor Day weekend, September 4th through 6th. Since the middle of March, you have been incredibly patient, encouraging, generous, and understanding during this most difficult worldwide crisis. We know it isn't over, but as hospitalizations began to decline in Northwest Arkansas recently, the elders decided we could safely open our doors again with some restrictions in place. Remember, our buildings were closed, but you, the church, never skipped a beat in being the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus in our region. In a few moments, our congregational leaders will share plans and instructions for those who wish to attend services in the coming weeks. As good neighbors, we will cooperate with state and local officials and follow CDC guidelines for the protection of all. We know that some of you won't feel comfortable attending services yet, and that's okay. Others have underlying health issues that require staying home out of necessity. Well, rest assured, we are now capable of live streaming our services each week, and we will do our best to serve you well. Never forget, God is in control. Bless you all. Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. Clark here with you. I have Margo with me this morning. We're so excited about this news. We're going to get to regather again here in just a few weeks. Are you excited, Margo? Oh, I cannot wait. There's going to be tons of details coming your, your way later on this week, but we're going to be meeting in our regular service times, 9 and 1030, and uh, there's going to be an easy way for you to sign up online. We're going to have to manage the capacity. We'll be at about one-third capacity in here. We're going to be spaced. We're going to ask you to mask up, but we're going to have more details for you later. But Margo has some really cool stuff that's happening in Fayetteville over the next few weeks. So Margo, give us an update. Okay, I will. But first, if you are viewing with us on live stream at 9 a.m., jump on the chat and tell us how do you feel about coming back to church? Um, or if you're not worshiping up with us at 9, we are so glad that you're here with us. My name's Margo. And I am on both the women's team and the community team here at Fayetteville. And our family had an exciting summer. My daughter got married. And even though it didn't happen exactly the way we'd planned it, and it, it just didn't, it wasn't exactly what we thought it was going to be, it was wonderful. And it was joyful when it happened. And it was God-honoring. And I wish that everybody could have been there. But Fayetteville has some exciting things happening this week. We're going back to school. And even though that may not look exactly like what we thought it was going to look like, I'm sure even if we have to pivot in the next weeks or months, that you will do it with grace. So Michael and Clark gave us the big picture of what small groups were going to look like this fall. They are gather in groups of 10, gather your family, gather your neighbors, and serve. We have got to serve. There's such need out there right now. And because we're going to have smaller groups, we need you. We need leaders. And I would love to share with you a story about my friend, Liz Wilhelm. Watch this. Fellowship, my name is Liz Wilhelm, and I just wanted to let you know how God encouraged me to step out in faith this summer and by using a neighbor to... She private messaged me on Facebook and asked me if I was doing a Bible study this summer to let her know. And that has turned into five of us women meeting at our local community coffee shop outside. And we are studying Jonah 
Navigating a Life Interrupted. And that could be you. Liz stepped out in faith and she is leading now. We need you to lead. And ladies, we have Bible studies that are starting. There is Beth Moore chasing vines. There's Jenny Allen, get out of your head. And we're trying something new. It's called a back porch retreat. It's on September 25th and 26th. And everything's online. All the information is there. Go in and register now. But if you have any questions, just give me a call. And you know, this, this pandemic, it has affected all of us in different ways. And I'm embarrassed to tell you that at, in the first couple of months, I kind of pushed the pause button. But I am going to encourage you, do not push the pause button on studying the Word of God or gathering in community when it's safe. We need to do this together. And I was going through the Clarity book, and this one prayer just jumped off the page at me, probably because I needed to hear it. And I would love to pray it over all of us right now. Lord, help me not to lose focus. Let me not grow lazy. Thank you for the opportunities that you have given me to be a part of your ministry in the world. Don't let me overlook, ignore, or delay any opportunities you've given me to glorify you. Help me make the most of my life for your name and your kingdom. I know that time will come when you will return and make all things new. Until that day, give me strength and perseverance that I might remain faithful. Amen and amen. Jimmy Cook. I'm the worship leader for Fayette Kids, uh, and I'm so glad that you joined us this morning to worship together. And despite all of the things that we've experienced in the last five months, the losses and the griefs and the disappointments and the changes in our lives, despite the challenges that we faced, one thing is true. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the same. He is still on his throne. He is still worthy of our worship. He still loves us with an infinite love. So wherever you are, with, with your family, with your neighbors, with a small group, if you're alone, I want you to stand up with me this morning. And I want you to read the words of the psalmist. Let's read these together. My heart, O oh God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music with all of my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. We can sing to our God because his mercy is more. So let's sing together. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more.
you all over the last couple of months we've had to make such hard decisions and I can just feel my trust becoming more and more eroded and the Lord has so gently and so kindly asked me often but Kelly do you still have trust in me and my soul longs to answer yes so if you're you have a heart like me, or if you're struggling like me, I pray that singing these words of truth together will bring a lot of comfort to us. And your love never let me go, never let me go. Your
to love those who seem far from you. Remove our bias and preconceived notions that cause us to distance ourselves from others. Remind us that hurting people need you and that we need you. Show us again how irresistible your love is by softening and changing our hearts. Increase our empathy, our compassion, and our love and make us more like you, amen. Your promise still stands, great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. We hold on to this, and I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence, you've never failed. Your promise still stands, great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands, this is my confidence, you never you to sing this with us this morning. I've seen you move. Oh, I've seen you move. You move the mountains and I believe that I'll see you do it again. You made a way when there was no way and I believe 
hundred billion failures disappear Where you lost your life so I could find it here If you left the grave behind you so blind I could see your heart in everything you've done so much that you came for us, that you lit for us, that you died for us, that you rose again for us, and that you reign for us, that you never leave the one behind. We thank you for the gospel story. Teach us this morning what it means to be sent with your gospel as your church. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. Uh, my name's Garland, and because it's an incredible passage, uh, I thought we'd just start by reading it. And so uh, you can stand if you want, you can sit if you want. Uh, just hear the passage read out loud. This is Acts chapter 16, and we're looking at the church breaking through, breaking new ground onto the continent of Europe in a city called Philippi. And we pick it up, the, the writer Luke here, verse 13. He says, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, we were going to the place of prayer, and we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God. They're telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left. When the owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city in an uproar. They're advocating customs that are unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. 
The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prisons were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And this is God's word. Uh, So it's it's great to join you, uh, however we're joining you this morning. And uh, what I consider almost universally, people I talk to and come in contact with, there seems to be this universal thing that we want. We, We want to see change in our city. We want to see things in our culture that are wrong or off. We, we like to see those things made better. Like we want to see our culture, our community, our family bettered because we were here. Like I, I never talked to anybody that says, you know what? You know, when they put me in the ground one day, I hope that they would say about me, you know, that person, that dude had no impact on this world. Nothing to say about that person. Like nobody says that. Nobody wants that. We all want to see the broken places made better. And we obviously have different ideas of how to go about accomplishing that. But what I see when I look at it, our culture, we have this almost universal desire to see this happen. And yet it seems like oftentimes not that much really changes. Or we'll take a, a step forward over here, but two steps back over here. And we see this both at a macro level and at a micro level in our own individual lives. And What we're going to see, and I think Luke is being very deliberate in drawing this out for us, we're going to see that the gospel story, the story of Jesus as king, is the only story that is deep enough and wide enough and beautiful enough and awesome enough and awe-inspiring enough to bring lasting change, real change, to our families and our culture and our community and our city and our lives And that's what Luke's going to draw out for us as we look at a case study in gospel change. Uh, That's what I'm calling this. We're going to look at the city of Philippi, and we're going to look at it as a case study in gospel change. And uh, as we're in this series, the hope that we have in this series is we're looking at what happens when the message of Jesus as king hits a city. What happens in that city when the gospel gets unleashed? And this is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible to get to look at. And we're we're gonna use this as our outline as we go forward here. Uh, And so just for you note takers, uh, even you non-note takers, this helps you to write this down and orient where we're at. We're gonna do a flyby of these different characters. And first we're gonna see the, the breadth of the gospel, then the depth of the gospel. And lastly, I'm gonna give you and I a call, the call of the gospel, the summons of the gospel. So first, the breadth of the gospel, then the depth of the gospel, and last, the call of the gospel as we're doing this case study in gospel change. Now, two things that we have to, I think, get oriented to before we move any further. The first thing is, where are we in the biblical story? We, we're dropped down in Acts 16. We read a really cool story, but where are we? And uh, what we have to understand is the message of Jesus has been working its way out. This is the story in Acts from Jerusalem 
where Jesus was crucified and resurrected, outward in concentric circles. And essentially, it's been moving outward in all directions. And as it moved outward, people were taking this gospel message, the message of Jesus as king, out into their world. And the apostle Paul will be deliberately doing this on three occasions that are listed for us in the book of Acts. We're going to see a first, second, and a third, what we call missionary journey, where Paul will go in a team out and take the message of the gospel into new cities and new places. And when we drop down into Acts 16, we're in Paul's second of these journeys all around the Mediterranean world. This will be the journey where the gospel will make its way onto a new continent. It will now move to Greece, to the continent of Europe. And Acts 16 will be the breakthrough of this moment. So just to date this for you, uh, the resurrection of Jesus is in in 30 or 33 AD, most scholars hold, and the events of Acts 16 take place in 50 AD. So we're talking within a couple of decades, and this story takes place. And just so you can see, uh, Philippi is a real place. Like, you can actually go and see Philippi. We're not talking mythology. This isn't the lost city of Atlantis. This is real people in a real place. And because I'm visual, this helps me just to see what this might have looked like. I mean, that's an awesome Greek theater. We got a Greek theater. That's a cooler Greek theater. And so uh, we get to see this actual place, and they've excavated it. And you can look on Google of artist renderings of what it might look like, if that helps you. It always helps me. Uh, Now, as we look through our outline, we're going to see the breadth of the gospel, the depth of the gospel, and the call of the gospel that might be helpful for us to, by way of just definition or understanding, what do we mean by the gospel? Like, we use that word a lot. We talk about the gospel a lot. What does it mean to say the breadth of the gospel, the depth of the gospel, the call of the gospel? And in in the first century Jewish Roman world that we find the New Testament written in, this word gospel has two primary senses we might say. The, the Greek word for gospel is euangelion. It literally just means good news. And there's two ways that this word is frequently used in the first century New Testament world. The first is a Jewish understanding. And it comes, if you're taking notes, it comes straight out of Isaiah 52. This word euangelion, it's the Hebrew word beser, and it's not used all that often in your Old Testament. One of the coolest places that it is used is in Isaiah 52. What's the context? The people of Israel find themselves in exile, stuck under the weight of sin, trapped under foreign oppressors, desperately hoping that one day Yahweh will come and set them free. And Isaiah says, Yahweh is on his way. And how beautiful on the mountain is the one who brings euangelion, a beser, good news. Yahweh's coming and he'll he'll remove your enemies over you. He will set you free and he'll forgive your sins. So when a Jewish person uses this word euangelion, they're having the idea of Yahweh coming. When a Roman person uses this word euangelion, it's explicitly tied to empire. It's tied to Caesar. The euangelion for the Roman audience is not everyday, run-of-the-mill kind of news. This is news by which everything in our culture is different. It's huge news, and it's usually tied to empire the ascension of the new Caesar to the the throne, the victory on the battlefield by which now our gods have proven their superiority over the other gods. It's about empire and Caesars and kings and power. Now what's fascinating is Paul is able to take both of these senses of this word euangelion and wrap them together in this Christian gospel. It's something like this, that Jesus is both 
Israel's Messiah. He's the answer to the problem of sin. He is Yahweh coming to set us free and forgive our sin. And also, he's the rightful king of the world. He's the true king that we need. And here's the surprising part about the Christian euangelion, that the Messiah and the king, the centerpiece of that story would come to a cross. And that by the cross, this Messiah king was able to conquer the enemy called sin and death and set his people free and come to this place as the rightful king of the world. It's the surprising part of the Christian gospel. So when we're talking about the breadth of the gospel, the depth of the gospel, and the call of the gospel, that's what we have in mind. This, this good news that Jesus, by way of a cross, has made forgiveness possible, and he reigns as the benevolent, merciful king. We just sang about it. It's the good news that we carry into our world. Now, let's look at the breadth of the gospel. I told you we're going to do a flyby of Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at these three characters that Luke is intentionally drawing out for us, I think, to make these points. The first we see is Lydia. Now, look in your Bible. Lydia, we're told, is from Thyatira. This is in modern-day Turkey, so uh, the continent that, that we now call Asia. She's from there, and we're told she's a She's a seller of purple fabric. Purple was incredibly expensive to make and manufacture. And so thus, it was the fabric of royalty. It was an expensive luxury good. So Lydia, she deals in luxury goods, all right? This is her profession. She runs with nobility. She hangs out with leaders and kings and princes and queens. She's, she's, we might say for our purposes today, she's, she comes from the really nice house with the, really, the right side of track. She drives a really nice car. She's got a really nice neighborhood. She's got the great education. She's well-connected. That's Lydia. Now, what's so fascinating is the gospel breaks through, and Lydia's gonna, we're going to see Lydia, her life be changed when she has the message of the gospel intersected with her life. But look at what Luke does. He's going to He's going to give us a contrast where Lydia comes from the right side of the, the, the town and the right side of the tracks, and she's got the money, and she's well-connected. We're going to then see the next story is going to be a slave girl, somebody who literally could not be more opposite of Lydia. This person is actually owned by somebody else. This slave girl, this poor girl, she comes from the wrong side of the track. She's got the wrong education. She doesn't even have a car. Like this, this slave girl, there's, she's got no prospects. She's got no future. She's got no hope. I mean, when you read the story, you just, you almost want to break for this poor girl. And yet we're going to see the power of the gospel will set her free. So we've got, a, we've got somebody maybe from the upper class, the lowest class. And then look at what, look at how Luke records this. We're also going to see this jailer. Now, the jailer, most jailers and kind of police, we might say, in the ancient Roman world were former soldiers. That's true today, actually. So former soldiers who were now in what we might say civil service. And so he's probably not running with nobility. He probably isn't running in, hanging out with like a purple fabric on. He's also not, he's not a slave. He's blue collar. He's middle class, we might say. And the gospel is going to break through. Now, here's what, just so simple. I think Luke is recording these three stories for us to make a really amazing point. The gospel's coming into this new city, a very Roman city. And look at how it begins to break through. 
not just with the poor, not just with the wealthy, not just in one class. We've got, we don't know where the slave girl is from. We don't even know what continent she's from, and the jailer is almost certainly Roman. We've got different ethnicities. We've got, we've got male, female. We've got from different continents. We've got different socioeconomic classes, and look, the gospel's breaking through. Now, just, just two observations before we, we move forward from the breadth of the gospel. One's a little easier, one's a little more tough. The first observation is this, just from looking at how Luke's recorded this. The gospel is capable of breaking down every single human boundary that we put up. I mean, and that's, that's good news. Like the gospel breaks through in different classes. The gospel breaks through different culture. The gospel breaks through different parts of the world. The gospel breaks through gender barriers. The gospel doesn't operate like so many of the human institutions and ways that we operate. It breaks through. And that is amazing news when we consider that the story of the gospel begins in a place called Jerusalem and it works its way to the ends of the earth. Do you know where Arkansas is from Jerusalem in the first century? You don't get any more ends of the earth than Arkansas in the first century. By the way, a lot of Americans think Arkansas is the end of the earth. And yet the gospel has been breaking through. Here we are talking about Jesus as the Messiah King 2,000 years later on the other side of the world. And that's amazing news. That's a really cool implication. The second implication is a little bit harder. Okay, It's equally profound, but a little more challenging for you and I. And I'm going to let Fleming Rutledge uh, do the work for me. She is an uh, Episcopal priest, and she wrote a book on the atonement. This is totally aside. She wrote a book on the atonement called The Crucifixion. Uh, it's about a 600-page book. It is one of the best theology books on the atonement that I have ever read. I could not recommend it any higher. And so uh, go, go grab it. It's really, really good. But so here's what Fleming Rutledge says, and this is our second implication. It's a little bit challenging. She says, the gospel is a two-edged sword. On the one hand, it slices the way we like because it says God is for us. We like that, right? We love God likes me. God is on my side. God likes my family. God's for me. That's great. Notice the second implication. On the other hand, it slices in the way we don't like because he's also for everyone else without the usual distinctions. That means no more A-list, no more A-list and B-list, and therefore no more building up of our own egos at someone else's expense. Let me, let me draw the second location out for you and for me. For a Christian, a Jesus follower, to look down their nose at some other class or race or group or whatever it may be, for us to do that would be evidence that we haven't really soaked in the breadth of the gospel. See, the gospel levels the playing field. It both humbles all of us to this, this equal footing before the cross, equally in need, and it both elevates us to say, look how much this king loves you. Look how much this king has forgiven you. It points all the glory away from us and to him. And can I just say, that could not be more in distinction than almost everything else that we see in our world. It's the breadth of the gospel. And we gotta, we, I think Luke is drawing this out for us in a masterful way, and it just, it just jumps off the page for me. Now, let's take a look at the depth of the gospel. I, it's not lost on me that here we are having this conversation, and it's August. We're in an election year. And 
literally this week there's a convention going on, a, par, a national party convention. And what we see and what we're going to hear is all the different ways and all the different ideas and all the different legislation that's going to change everything. We're going to hear it from politicians. We hear it every, uh, every four years. And different movements and different groups and things with initials and things that, that with slogans and ideas that this will finally lead to change. This will finally be the thing that will break us through to see peace and goodness and happiness in our world. And you know what we see? It, it, it never gets us there. So much promise that almost never delivers. And as followers of Jesus, we, we, need to, we need to hear that and then run back to the gospel and see what we're going to see here is the depth of the gospel, that the gospel is the only thing that can go deep enough into the human heart, into the human condition to genuinely change a city, to genuinely change a culture. So let's look at our three characters. We're going to do a flyby again. First, let's start with Lydia. Now, we're told that Lydia is a, a, a worshiper of God. This is a technical term to say. It's a technical way to say she is a non-Jewish person who is trying to follow the Jewish customs and ways. And we might say she's spiritually upright. She's interested in the things of God. She tries to follow and obey the Torah. When she's in cities that have a synagogue, she goes to synagogue. She reads her Torah. She reads her Bible. She's trying to follow the law. And what we're going to see, the method by which Paul and Silas use as they interact with her, is this. They go up to her. They're at the place of prayer. And they sit down and they begin to speak with her. This is the gospel. Do you understand it? They just have a normal, regular, spiritual conversation. And we're told, it's, it's, it's an amazing way that Luke records this. It says that her eyes, the Lord opened her heart. It's, it's the, the Greek word that's being used here. It's more than just like you open a door. It's like to spring it open. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. She, she heard this news in a spiritual conversation and she ran toward it and said, I need that. And this might be describing several of you listening to this. You find yourself, you're interested in the things of God, or maybe this describes your story. This describes my story. I was going into 10th grade, trying to be a good kind of Southern moral person. And I thought if I obeyed the rules and did stuff right and didn't do the bad things, that, that made me a good enough person to, to go to church and maybe God will like me one day. And I get to go to heaven when I die. And my cell group leader, he met, met with me and we talked through the book of Romans together. And he made sense of the gospel. And the Lord opened my heart to see the beauty of it. And I said, I got to have that. I, I, that message is incredible. I need Jesus. And it was through just regular spiritual conversation that we were having over donuts at Daylight Donuts on A Street in Bentonville. And maybe that's some of you. The Lord opened your heart. Or maybe right now you're going, man, I, I've tried to do the religious thing, but I need the Lord to open my heart. Maybe you're Lydia. And just, I would encourage you, find somebody that loves Jesus and start asking them, what, is that, what does it look like to follow Jesus? The gospel is powerful enough to go deep enough to break through this religious person and show her the goodness of Jesus. But what about the slave girl? I'm referring to the slave girl as spiritually desperate. She's physically and spiritually enslaved. She is owned, not only physically, but she's owned by the spiritual darkness that has ensnared her. She's desperate. 
What is the method that they use here? Notice, it's not a spiritual conversation. That's not going to break through for her. This is what I love about uh, the way that the gospel is portrayed in this book. The, the, the gospel, it doesn't, it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of method. Here, Paul and Silas, they know what she needs is to be set free. What she needs is to see that the power of Jesus has conquered the power of sin in her life, the power of the spiritual darkness in her life. And so look what happens. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, Paul was really annoyed and he turned to her and in the name of Jesus commanded this dark power that's enslaved her to come out and look what it says. And at that moment, that dark power left her, spirit left her. What she needs is power. She interacts, she, she comes in contact with this gospel message, the power of Jesus, and she's set free. And maybe, maybe as you're watching it, that's you, or that's the story, that's your story with Jesus. Maybe you're there, maybe you're watching this right now and you're saying, that's me. You feel enslaved to sin and the spiritual forces of darkness in your life. And maybe it's some kind of habitual sin that you go back to and for years it's owned you and you've tried to get out and you feel like it, it's got its tentacles in on you and it's wrapped itself around you. You can't get out of it. Or maybe it's something that happened to you in your past that somebody did to you and it haunts you and it feels like it just overshadows you and it's always there. Maybe it's a lie that you've just believed because somebody said something to you or something happened to you and you just let that lie overpower you for years. And what you need is to know that the power of the gospel is bigger than that spiritual oppressor that feels like it's always circling you. And Luke's telling us in the name of Jesus, he's bigger. And the slave girl's set free. And what about the jailer? Uh, I'm calling him spiritually uninterested. Spiritually uninterested. Here's, here's why I'm calling him that. Uh, there's no such thing as privacy in the ancient world. I mean, unless you're really wealthy, there was no privacy. These cities were jam-packed together. You know everybody else's business. So you've got Paul talking about this Jesus guy, maybe for several days or weeks. You have this giant kind of uproar that takes place in the city. They beat this guy publicly, and then they, they, he's got this crazy story with a slave girl. You would have known that slave girl. Now they bring him into the, into the prison. They throw him before you, and notice what the jailer doesn't do. He doesn't take any interest in any of this. Just put him in the, put him in the inner stocks, put their feet in there. I, I, I like to think of this guy. He's just working for the weekend. He's going in to do his job. He's going in there so he can punch the clock and get out of there. Like, if I'm him, I'm going, did that slave girl thing really happen? Dude, who are you? What are you talking about? Jesus, what are you? He didn't do any of that. Just put him in there. Who cares? What does he need? What's the method? How does the gospel break through for him? Not a spiritual conversation. He won't be interested. And not a power display, because I'm sure he'll go, yeah, our gods do powerful things. I've seen that before. I could explain that away. Whatever. What he needs, he needs to experience grace, to taste grace he needs to see that the gospel enables humans to walk in a new kind of humanity. And look what happens. The, he, he throws them in the inner stocks, and this earthquake happens. And if I'm Paul, I, I, and maybe, maybe I'm just a selfish person, if I'm Paul, I'm sitting there, and I've been singing and, and praying all night, and then out of nowhere, an earthquake happens, and the chains that I have on my hands and feet they fall off just perfectly. It's not like the building fell on me. My chains fell off. I don't know about you, but what I'd do is I'd go, sweet, 
I'm out of here, and I'm running. Like, God, God wants me out of here, I'm out. But that's not what Paul does. Look at what Paul does. He stays. And he keeps the other handful of prisoners in there. Why? He knows that if he were to gain his freedom in this moment, the jailer would lose his. You see, in the Roman world, it would be assumed that the jailer would have had to have been in on it or let them out. He would be shamed if he were to lose the prisoners. And then him and his family would experience shame, and likely they would have been executed for this kind of mistake of letting the prisoners out. In an honor-shame culture, he couldn't bear it. And I think we know this because he's drawing a sword to kill himself. He would rather take his own life than, than be publicly shamed and have his, have his life taken in front of the rest of the culture. So he, he's drawn his sword to take his own life. And if I'm, if I'm Paul, I'm out of there. But what does Paul do? He goes, hey, wait, 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 wait. We're all here. Everybody's here. Why does Paul do this? Paul refuses to save his own neck at the cost of this jailer's neck. He refuses to gain his own freedom at the cost of the jailer's freedom. And my assumption is the jailer's never seen anything like this. I mean, he's never tasted anything like this. I think that, look, he runs in there and he, he bows down before them. What do you have that I don't have? This is amazing. I've never seen a human treat another human with this much grace. What do you have? And look at what look at Paul says. I, I just, I'm enamored with the way that uh, these people follow Jesus and I want us to replicate it. Look at what he says. If I'm Paul in this moment, I'm like, yeah, we are awesome. Christians are pretty cool, aren't we? You know, you really haven't ever seen anything like this. Look at what Paul does. He doesn't point anything to himself. The guy runs in, what do I got to do? And he says, it's Jesus. Believe. It's believe in the Lord Jesus. And you can have it. You can taste this thing, this gospel message. You can experience it. It's, it, it blows me away to see the way that the gospel breaks through with all these different people. And it's showing us that the gospel is deep enough to go into any heart, to break through into any story and to bring victory and liberation and forgiveness into that story. And Luke is weaving together this flawlessly for us. Now, that's the breadth of the gospel and the depth of the gospel. Let, can I just simply offer us a quick call or a summons for you and for me? Uh, the gospel is the only story it's the only, and it's a true story, the gospel is the only message or narrative or idea that is deep enough and wide enough and beautiful enough and awesome enough and inspiring enough and motivating enough and powerful enough to really bring lasting change to our world. It's, it's it. It's the only thing that can do it. And my call to you and to me, for, first and foremost, is this. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know where you find yourself watching this or listening to this, but maybe you're like Lydia or the slave girl or the jailer, and you're just going, man, I, I want that. I need that. Can I, just, can I just hint you what Paul handed the jailer? Trust. Believe in the king, Jesus. Paul will say in his letter to the Philippians, and it's, I, I, we quote this all the time, but just see it and hear it. He will tell the Philippian church that this is a king like no other king. This king does stuff that no other king would ever dare do. And we're, trust, we're handing our allegiance and our trust to this king. He did not equate equality with God, something to be grasped or taken to his own advantage, but instead, look at what this king did. 
He made himself nothing. It's Philippians 2. He took the nature of a servant. What? And he was made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Circle it, underline it. Even death on a cross. He's the benevolent king that the world truly needs. He's the servant king that brings liberation and freedom. Now notice, doesn't in there, through the cross, this is this king's way. This is this king's manner by which he's exalted to the highest place and he's received the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, the crucified Jesus and in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is king. Lord, to the glory of the Father. So if you find yourself going, I need that. I need that king. I want that king. Trust him. Trust in what he's done for you, his love for you, his grace for you. And we would love to process that with you. We have a number that you can call if you want to process that right now. If you're sitting with somebody in your house or with your roommates, talk to them. What does that look like for me? And for, for those of us that are trying to follow Jesus in our world, can I, can I take you one chapter later in Philippians? Remember, Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians to this church, this little church with the Lydia and the slave girl and the jailer. Imagine them receiving this letter. And look at what Paul says, and this is my call to you and to me. He says, you know what my life's about? My aim is to know him and to experience the power of his resurrection. New creation is broken through. Culture can be changed because of this message. And you know what? I'll share in his suffering. I'll be like him in his death. The same way that he's exalted through suffering, we will exalt. We will be exalted through suffering. And so somehow we might attain to the resurrection of the dead. We're living with a different story. We're living with a different king. We're living with a different narrative. And it changes everything about how we live. So my call to you and to me is simply this. Do our lives line up with this story? Are our lives reflecting this king? I know there's a lot. We could take application in a thousand different ways. I want to leave you with that question. Are you bending the knee to this benevolent king, this merciful king? Are we trusting him? Are we radically obeying him? Do we buy it? Are we living for it? And I'm, I'm just going to invite you to don't, don't rush to lunch. Don't rush off to go to the gym or whatever you do after this. Maybe just when this is over, to, to speak about it with each other in your room, in your living room or in your, with, your, with your friends. Uh, maybe go on a walk. Maybe get your journal out. Whatever that looks like to process. I'm going to leave application to you. We trust in the Lord Jesus. We make it our goal to know him and experience this power in this world. The story of the gospel is the only story deep enough, wide enough, beautiful enough to bring lasting change to our world. Do we believe it? Do we live it? With that in mind, let's pray. Well, Jesus, your story, your message, your life, your death, your resurrection, your pronouncement of a different kind of kingdom, we're in, like we're in. And we want that to be unleashed in our city. What would it look like for gospel change to have this case study of Philippi unleashed in Fayetteville? That's what we want to see. And we want to do, we'll do anything to see that. Not looking to our own glory, not making a name for us, but because you are worthy of it. So Jesus, 
We pray that in our city and in our day, you would be glorified. And help us to know how to do that. We do it humbly. We do it because you're worthy of it. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Fellowship Fayetteville, we, we love you. Uh, we hope that you have a great week. Just on, on, on our way out today, uh, they're going to play just this chorus and, and, and bridge, and I would love for you to just have it in your head. But uh, we'll see you all next week. We love you all. Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up and send us out, Lord. Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up and send us out, Lord. Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up and send us out, Lord. Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up and send us out, into action we must go